There we go. Hey, welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and today we have with us again my friend and former classmate, Matthew Brotherton. Or I guess not a former classmate. We were classmates. Uh, but uh, Matthew Brotherton from the Center Road, uh, Center Point Road Church of Christ in Marion, Iowa. Uh, if you didn't catch his previous episode, today is a continuation of that. So I would highly recommend that you hit the pause button right now and go uh, go back and listen to episode 10, uh, where we discuss Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And then today we're going to pick up uh, where we left off, starting in verse 7 and going through uh, verse 14. Uh, also, I'd recommend you go back there to uh, catch the introduction of Matthew uh, as well. But before we begin, I want to make one quick announcement. This is the last episode of the 2023 year, calendar year, uh, and we have some exciting news in 2024. We will begin uh, our partnership uh, on the Scattered Abroad Network uh, and teaming up with those guys on, on uh, future uh, podcasts, so we're excited about that uh, and looking forward to uh, the the good God brings about uh, from that effort. A lot of changes going on over there and over here, and we are excited about that. So that being said, brief, brief, brief context before we get in. Uh, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, uh, longest sentence in the Greek New Testament, verses 3 through 14. It's one continual sentence. We broke it down last time uh, as far as just kind of a, a brief outline of this section of Scripture talking about the church and we're talking about the father planned the church uh the son purchased the church and then the spirit perfected the church and there we see the organization uh among the godhead uh, we saw this i believe when you go to genesis chapter one and john chapter one and you see the organization and roles that each member of the godhead has in the creation of the earth uh and i think the same applies here in the establishment of the church and so uh, Matthew, you have anything to add as far as context goes before we start to delve into the text? I think we talked about it last uh, last episode where um, you had kind of broken down verses 3 through 6 as God's plan, 7 through 12 as uh, Christ uh, kind of purchased us, and 13 through 14, the Spirit perfected us. And uh, and I'm, I'm excited to get into verse 7, um, or verse 6 and 7, I think, because I think you're going to go back to verse 6. But it... Uh, when we look at God's plan and then we see it actualized in Christ, uh, there's a lot of lines that I have drawn back to God's plan, back to God's plan as we get more details and what Christ did. So that's great. That's great. And without further ado, let's just pick up in six. So we have some continual flow to the praise and glory of his grace, uh, which he has blessed us in the beloved in him. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, things in heaven and on earth. Uh, what do you have there, Matthew? Beginning in verse, uh, verse 7? Yes, sir. So, uh, so there, I actually have a line drawn back from verse 7 back to verse 4. So according to God's plan, in Christ, we were to be holy and blameless. And so when you think of holy and blameless, you might automatically think about 
works, like, you know, doing works of righteousness and being holy as God is holy. But according to God's plan, how we are holy and blameless is by the blood of Christ. So now we see more details of how God wants his people holy and blameless is through the blood of Christ. And specifically, what does the blood of Christ do? Well, we have the forgiveness of sins uh, according to the riches of his, his grace. And so now we have even more details. So because of Christ's death, we have access to the forgiveness of sins, and that's how we're holy and blameless. And I think that's really one of the, one of the main ideas that Christians need to grasp from Ephesians is that that is how we are holy and blameless is the blood of Christ. And then in more details, we have to say, how do we access the blood? Because of course we have to walk holy and blameless. And as we walk in the light, then we have access to the blood, right? But if we don't grasp that, I don't think we can do what verse six says, which is to give the praise and to glorify God unless we really grasp that it's, Christ's work that allows me to be holy and blameless. So I just kind of drew it back to verse four. No, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought up how we access the blood. Um, the blood was shed through the grace of God, uh, and we want to put grace in its proper place. Uh, you have some philosophies that limit the grace of God, uh, limited atonement uh, as far as Christ only died for a select few. He didn't die for everyone which puts a limitation on God's grace that is not there. But then you have on the other side some philosophies that extend God's grace much further uh, than it actually goes. And what I mean by that is you'll hear someone uh, make the argument that we don't have to do anything because Christ already did it all, and there's mm -hmm. nothing we can do. And then there's a philosophy or a mindset behind it that if we do anything, then we discredit or we take away or diminish from the sacrifice of Christ and the blood of Christ. And that's not the case. Uh, there is a reliance upon the blood of Christ, as you mentioned, uh, and nothing that we do uh, would be possible had the blood of Christ not been uh, provided to us. And there's where the grace is involved in the sense that we didn't do anything to earn Jesus dying on the cross and redeeming us through his blood, uh, but he did. Mm -hmm. And so because he did, now, we have actions that we have to, to take part in order to put ourselves in the blood of Christ. Romans chapter 6 talks about being baptized into his death uh, and mimicking the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, you have uh, numerous passages throughout mm. uh, that solidify that thought that we have to put ourselves into the blood of Christ. Uh, but a very, very good point that holiness is found Holiness and blameless before him is found in the blood of Christ and nowhere else. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to verse three when it talks about every spiritual blessing. Uh, that's one of them. Uh, being yep. found holy, being found blameless, redemption through the blood, forgiveness of, of trespasses uh, in Christ. And, yep. and that's the only place uh, that it's found. What else you have? Um, well, it just makes me think of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where it, again, um, it really brings up the grace that's found in Christ. But then after that, you know, grace is accessed as we come in contact with the blood, then we're to walk in good works. And that was, again, part of God's plan for us to, to walk in those good works. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that goes back to um, I still need to be obedient. It doesn't take away obedience. Um, but I think the thing with grace is that it can be taken to two extremes, right? 
you can rely on it so much that you just say, hey, I'm going to do whatever I want. Price makes up the difference. And that's an abuse. And then you could take it so far where you think so little of his grace that you're so um, you know, worried about even making a mistake. Or when you do make a mistake, you're much harder on yourself than, um, than Christ would have you be. And I think we're going to see that in verse 8 because um, Paul's going to use the word abound. And so what's found in Christ and the grace and the holiness and blamelessness that we can have in him, uh, it abounds towards us. It overflows. It's even more than we need. And it's enough for the entire world if they will accept it. Uh, one, la one last thought. I hope I'm not jumping all over the place. No, go know, ahead. Do what you want. Okay. Uh, throughout this entire passage recovering, I love that it multiple places. I think it goes back to verse 5. And then again in verse 11, uh, and then in verse 9, it keeps reminding us that this is God's plan according to his good will. Like, it was his free will. He wanted, he chose this. He wasn't forced by anyone. This is his own His own will. Um, and so, oh man, I lost my train of thought. Well, I think I was going to tie that in with, it's our free will choice. He's not going to force us. It's his good will to present this to us, but... It's it's uh, up to us whether or not we accept what he has planned for us. Um, Excellent. And verse eight, you said abound. Hmm. English Standard Version says he lavished uh, oh, upon that's, us. That's good. Um, and and I like where you you went with that. Uh, going back to the outline that we made uh, in the previous episode, where you can divide the book in half, uh, and you could give it the theme of perception. Uh, the church uh, being the, the central theme of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, looking at the church from the viewpoint of the throne of God. In other words, how God looks upon uh, the church, 4 through 6, looking at it from the world's perspective, what the world should see when it looks upon the church. And I think this thought goes into it, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, verse 8, uh, from the standpoint of, of, like you mentioned, a loving, benevolent God willingly does or, had, or did everything he did because of his feelings towards us. Uh, and, and again, going back to misconceptions that there are, misconceptions about God, angry God, vengeful God, sitting in heaven, waiting for us to mess up so that he can inflict us with hardship and trials. Complete opposite. Uh, this and, and Ephesians, that's what I love about Ephesians. That's what I love about this particular section of scriptures is it paints God as this benevolent, loving father who looks down upon us with, and I don't, with pride, uh, mm -hmm. with joy, uh, with love and benevolence, wanting the best for us. And even when you look at the hardships and afflictions that he allows to be, uh, befall us, Hebrews chapter 12, starting around verse three or four. It's for our own benefits and mm -hmm. so that we uh, become stronger, more patient and grow closer to him as well. So um, I really appreciate you bringing that out because that is a thread that runs through this entire section of scripture is a loving God to the pleasure of his goodwill, not only created humanity, but created the church as a means of reconciliate, reconciling that relationship that man broke. Yeah, man broke it. Yet God did what was required to uh, repair it. And, and I think it just paints a different picture than many in the world uh, mm -hmm. tend to want to paint about God. What else you yeah. have? 
I mean, well, I just want to piggyback off that thought of God, because this, this passage of Scripture can help us if we are starting to think of God as more harsh to come back to these verses and really center our, our thoughts. So I would always like I try and mark parts of Scripture for certain emotions. So when I am struggling with how I'm viewing God or I'm feeling that he is harsh, this is a scripture or a passage I would go back to and meditate on and help get my, my thoughts straight. And thinking about the hardships that would go about in life, I know this, this passage doesn't necessarily directly go there, but just the human experience, there's hard times. But I need to remember that whatever I'm going through, uh, I need it. And there are things I can learn through it. But God will never make me go through something that I don't necessarily have to or that there's not potential benefit in. You can look at, I mean, this kind of might be a, a, a random thought, but like even Christ, when he was in the grave, he was in there the least amount of time, right? God didn't leave him in there longer than he had to be. And the same thing for us to prove our faith and give us the strength to be able to remain faithful until death. I think God gives us the things we need uh, and he knows that we can handle them if we will submit ourselves to that growth process. But again, just looking at this and getting our, our thoughts straight. So I think this passage would be good if you're going through difficulty and struggles to remember this is the God who is ruling my life. 100% agree. I've underlined that phrase, making known to us the mystery of his will in verse 9. Uh, I put uh, Ephesians three ten and 11, uh, which you, you may have as a a reference in if you have a referenced Bible. I've also put Acts 15 and verse 18, known unto God are all his uh, works from the beginning of the earth. And and think about that, uh, this, talking about the, the, the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, which he lavished, lavished upon us in wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, meaning that everything involved with the church, as far as Christ being the head of it, Christ giving his, his life for it, and then the benefits contained therein, going back up to verse 3 and the spiritual blessings, all known to God before the creation of the earth. And, and with the creation of the earth came sin in uh, Genesis chapter 3, which going back to the thought that you're making about a loving God, the, reconcile, the, the opportunity to reconcile, the opportunity for forgiveness, the opportunity to repair that relationship existed before the need existed. Mm -hmm. So forgiveness for sins is older than sin itself. Genesis hmm. chapter three, uh, the, the, the resolution or the solution to the problem existed longer before the problem actually existed. That's amazing. And when you look at it from that standpoint, now you're looking at it from the standpoint of an omniscient God who has taken care of the problem before the problem ever existed. How mm -hmm. can you not find confidence? How can you not find self-esteem? How can you not find purpose? Oh, yeah. Uh, How in, can you not find you trust? Like, just trust him. Yeah. 100%. No, excellent. Excellent point. You have anything else? Um. Well, I think also, I just want to, you know, bring to our mind, because I think we, we so often take, uh, take it for granted that we get to know the full re revelation of this uh, plan of God. Because mm -hmm. so many people in the Old Testament, they didn't get the whole picture. And then you and I, we get to just open up our Bible at any moment and see the entire scheme of redemption. 
And I think, I think it's important just to think on that point and how blessed we are. And I think that all the more goes back to verse six. So I, I should praise him and give him all glory and honor because I get the full picture, you know? And so right. if people could praise God for what he revealed to them in the old Testament, how much more should I? And if I'm not, you know, I, I need to work on that because he's given me even more than they had back then. So that's great it. point. And so with that underlying mystery of his will, put first Peter chapter one, uh, 10 through 12. Uh, when it talks about the writers of the Old Testament wanted to know more that uh, wanted to know more information, they wrote about the coming Christ, but they wanted to know more. Angels in heaven even desired to look into it, uh, and even Peter, uh, what he said, he tells the the audience of of First Peter that we're lucky because those in the Old Testament wanted to know more than what they knew. You're getting to know it. You and I, that's compounded because. You and I have the complete revelation, and we have it to the greatest. We have it in our own language, in various versions of our own language, and we have greater access to it than anyone's ever had. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so you're 100% right. If they could praise God having that limited knowledge, then how, you know, and you look, even just look back uh, 50 years ago when, uh, I mean, the Bible was available, number one selling book that there is. But now you and I carry our Bible around in our pocket. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, and how many times have I, you know, stopped and then pulled out my phone and just pulled up my Bible app to see where something's at or to read it or whatever. Uh, even even something that, that even 20 years ago wasn't mm -hmm. available. And oh, so yeah. uh, excellent, excellent point. Anything else on, on 6 through 10? Just, just a random like preacher thought. Have you ever thought about like, I, I don't know what all people know who, who have died, you know, God's people have died and gone on to, to their, uh, to, um, paradise or the, the waiting place. But have you ever thought about if they had conversations with people as they died, who came after like with the gospel and like, if they were telling them the gospel, cause again, we don't know, maybe God has given them information after they've died about, you know, this mm -hmm. entire plan. But it's just interesting to think about the conversations that would happen with people on this side of the cross, meeting people on the other side of the cross, if, of course, there is communication between the two on the other side. Um, and so just interesting conversations, getting to talk about uh, the gospel and the full revelation. And, you know, it had to have been interesting. 100%. Yes, I do think about that. I always kind of <laughs> wonder what what people talk about, but. That's yeah. a side note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. One day we'll know. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, verse 10, that the, the, it says, as the plan for the fullness of time, um, which any type of thought that the church was a plan B or mm. a provision or, I'm sorry, a revision to the plan uh, completely misses the point of, of what Paul's saying here in verse 10. The plan for the fullness of time goes back to what we talked about earlier. Uh, all this was known before everything was created uh, to unite all things in him. And and I think that's the theme of Ephesians hmm. is, is that unity. I mean, cause that's essentially what the church is, that unity between heaven and earth. And, and the only, the closest to heaven you and I can get here on earth is in his body, in his church. The only way you can, I, you and I can get to heaven today is through the church. Um, and I've underlined that phrase, things in heaven on earth, and just put uh, chapter 1, 20 through 22. 
and just showing that link. The head is in heaven, but the body's here on earth. Uh, and and then the heavenly places go to chapter two and verse seven. He uh, or six or seven, where he says that he has seated us with him in heavenly places. Uh, and this goes back to a little bit of what we talked about last time. This realized benefits of heaven uh, realized in present day. It's not mm -hmm. just future reward. Now, the full extent to, of it is in the future. Uh, but there is a sense where we can enjoy the benefits of heaven now within the church, that relationship with Christ, the peace of God, uh, the unity with those who, with whom we will spend eternity. Uh, those things can be experienced now. And, and so Paul is making that point to the church at Ephesus or to his audience that, hey, everything you're looking towards, the benefits that you're looking towards are not just future benefits uh, with a hope in which you have. There's a part of it that is. But we can realize or we can understand or we can uh, enjoy those heavenly benefits now to a lesser extent. Absolutely. When, and I think uh, especially now that I've been preaching, it's only been like a year. So I know it's just the beginning of preaching. But there, there's been times where you really think that you get almost a taste of heaven, uh, like on a Sunday where you, you praise and you worship with the people and you fellowship and you walk away. It's like this is just a taste of heaven. And then you mm -hmm. have those weeks where it's like sin enters the camp where there's problems and it, it kind of throws a wrench in things. And for me, it always makes me think like there's going to be a time where the lust of the flesh and the ways of, of the world will pass away. And we get to fully realize the benefits of heaven without the flesh, without, you know, the, the tempter, without all the problems we have here on earth. And that just makes me all the more excited for the time when it's fully realized and keep keeps mm -hmm. my eye on the goal so it can be discouraging but there's also those times where you do get a glimpse of heaven on earth and uh that's you know, a great point and, and i think you brought it up last time of like even approaching the throne room in prayer that's a, a taste of heaven and there's been times mm -hmm. where you know i'll spend time in prayer and i walk away from the prayer uh you know encouraged and strengthened and then i think how much more amazing is it going to be being in the presence of god and again, you get all these tastes and it makes you excited, but it's not fully realized yet. And I think that gets also uh, when we get to verse 13 and 14, you know, the spirit being a down payment. And so, again, there's all this mm -hmm. this kind of like anticipation for the end for when it's fully realized. But again, but but to your point, there are a lot of blessings here on Earth. We just can't let that. Oh, you know, like yeah. you said, and then that realize the sin in the camp and, and you kind of. You have the issues that you know, are worked out in the church, but then you have the time where the church comes together, whatever it is, to provide comfort or to, to praise or what, uh, praise God or whatever it is. I remember an elder uh, in a Bible class one time talking about heaven. Uh, and he, meant, he had said this. He goes, one thing I look forward to in heaven is that there's no temptation. There's mm -hmm. nothing to spoil. And, and it's. You, when you think about heaven, you think about, you know, the, the imagery painted uh, by John at the end of the book of Revelation, or you think about the body from 1 Corinthians 15 that will, that will last for eternity, or even the relationships are like we just did a minute ago, are we going to be able to have conversations with those in the Old Testament and all that? But you really don't think about the fact that there's never going to be that turmoil or strife or mm -hmm. that temptation to do wrong again. And then no. that's, that's an interesting thought 
Uh, one that probably we don't give as much appreciation to as other facets of heaven, uh, but the one that definitely needs to be considered and, and to which uh, we should obviously look forward. Yeah. Do you have anything else to do, Tim, before we move on? Uh, I just had one side point. Um, I think I'd read it. It might have been in Brother Waycaster's commentary, but it was talking about how heaven and earth met in the garden, and then it was separated with sin, and then heaven and earth is reunited again uh, through Christ. And so there's just kind of a parallel between um, Christ and his body and then what we had kind of in the garden before sin that made heaven and earth. But that's that's the last note that I had. Good point. Uh, verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of his will, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory in him also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What do you have there, Buff? Uh, so verse 11, uh, I'd had a, dr a line drawn back. Um, you know, so verse 11 mentions an inheritance, and I drew it back to, I believe it was verse 5 where it says that part of God's plan is that he predestined us to adoption as sons. And so as sons in Christ, uh, we now have this inheritance, which I mean, again, just thinking about that, the fact that, yeah, God has redeemed me, that's amazing in and of itself. But the fact that he's also made me a son with an inheritance, and again, thinking of who the father is, I mean, that's just amazing that he has given me that. Um, Psalm 50, the cattle of a thousand hills are mine. And you see the creator of it all. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that's from whom the inheritance comes. I think yep. that's a great point. And I think I, I kind of draw it back to, um, I think I had this point in another verse, but we get to choose who our second father is, so to speak. So we can't choose our biological father. I mean, I hope that you had a, a good father, but like a lot of us, you know, we didn't have great fathers. But depending upon which father you choose, you can have great things or nothing. And so in John 8, Christ accused uh, some of their father being Satan. And so Satan promises everything and gives nothing. And yet God promises everything and gives us his son and gives us an inheritance. So it really is, I mean, to put it bluntly, it's a no-brainer who you want your father to be. Do you want it to be God mm -hmm. who's truthful and gives everything? Or Satan who promises and can't deliver on anything. So it's we get to we get to choose and yeah there's so many benefits it's it really is a no-brainer <laughs> yeah uh, I, what i noticed and and circled this verse 12 this is so that we who were in the first hope uh who were the first uh to hope in christ you can have verse 13 in him you second person so you have first person plural uh, Paul writing, and then in verse 13, he transitions to the you, second uh, second person, plural. I just drew a line between those two, uh, and, and here we see the Jew and the Gentile. Going back to that, uh, that, that phrase in verse 10, to unite all things, uh, Jew and Gentile being uh, included in that all things. So not only heaven and earth, uh, being united, but Jew and Gentile. And that's where the we, we talking about the Jews, you talking about the Gentiles, uh, coming together. Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14. 
uh, as well as 28, 5, 6, 6, 15, Colossians 3, 11. I mean, then, uh, you go to the 2, 15 here, talking about tearing down the, the wall of partition. Uh, mm-hmm. And you think about all the schisms that have taken place just in society itself. I mean, we, I mean, it's their unity is the exact opposite of this world. Because if you look at this yeah. world, it's getting more and more divided uh, as as the years go by. Yet yeah, within the church, you can put aside anything, uh, social status, wealth, education, uh, race, gender, whatever it is. And it's all united in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, or First Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 10, let there be no division among you. And so that, again, that thought of unite all things or unity coming through. Uh, and this would have been big during the time of Paul, uh, Jew and Gentile coming together. Uh, you know, Romans, Hebrews uh, looks at it from the standpoint Jews wanted to get to heaven through Judaism. Uh, they wanted the Gentiles essentially to get to heaven through Christianity. And Paul's driving home the point that everyone gets to heaven through Christ. And I think that's the focus that we have to put on it. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not me. It's not any characteristic about me from an inherent standpoint that's going to get me to heaven. It's the fact that I'm in Christ. And, mm-hmm. and the way you're going to get to heaven is through your, that you're in Christ. Mm-hmm. And anyone else who gets to heaven is going to be in Christ, regardless of whatever differences. We're different locations, different background, whatever. But that one commonality that we all have is that, is that we're in Christ yep. and, and that that uh, uniting there that that Paul drives home which is is again a beautiful because God's the one who made us all different mm-hmm. if that makes sense and so the differences are sometimes natural but there's that desire for everyone to be one or, or the same uh together what yeah. else do you have well I mean and that what unifies us as one as you said is is Christ and Whenever you read this, and I know I've been guilty of this too, when you think of Jew and Gentile, you're like, oh, yeah, that was a thing back then. But, man, you can apply that to so many things today. Like, uh, depending upon where you are in the country, like, there's people who will divide over sports teams. There are people who divide over Democrat, Republican. And it's like, that that does not belong anywhere in the body of Christ. Like, we are one because of Christ, and we shouldn't let anything else um, divide us, especially in our matters that don't don't matter. And so that's always something to bring up is just because it seems like it's inherent in humans to like divide by group. Like, oh, I'm this group. You're that mm-hmm. group. And that always has to be um, kind of dealt with. And I think these these verses 12 and 13 can kind of address that too. Jew and Gentile back then. But, you know, those there's problems today. And hopefully race isn't an issue anymore today. I hope that's gone. But, you know, even that sometimes needs to be brought, brought up too. just different cultures. But we're all one in Christ. It doesn't matter. Right. No, and then you're absolutely right. And and again, there's competition with division, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, if if someone has more money than I do, then there's that. If, you know, if you look at it from an earthly perspective, then there's that need that I need to make more money, or someone may have, I don't know, better behaved children. So there's that need that I've got to, whatever it is, parent the way they do, and all that. And and I'm not saying that. We just go about it willingly. But the beautiful thing about the church is regardless of, of my social status or, or education or anything, none of that matters Mm-mm. 
and and the richest person in town can have a relationship with the poorest person in town or the most educated with the least educated or however you want to divide it those relationships or or those characteristics that divide us go out the window when we look at it from the standpoint that we're here praising the same God mm-hmm. and when we're all sinners in need of the blood of Christ and Christ died for you just as much as he died for me regardless of what you, and if I if and just to take it, the person who commits a million sins versus the person who committed one sin Christ still died for that individual equally mm-hmm. uh, and and when you take the equal facet and apply it in this sense then that competition goes away uh, and then Paul would talk about it first Corinthians 12 Romans uh, 12 I believe when he talks about we're all just members of a body working to build the body up uh, and uh, personally it's just a nice reprieve from everything happening in the world oh, yeah. that we can come together lift our voices in harmony and in unison to praise the almighty god and nothing in the world matters yep. uh, from that standpoint and, and that's that's a, a comforting and reassuring thing and again, I think it goes back to verse three. That's that every spiritual blessing in Christ, that's part of it. That mm-hmm. unity, not only with the Godhead, but with one another, despite our differences. Yep. And I think that's that's one of the ways that the church glorifies God is by having that kind of unity. And so it made me think of when the when the temple was created, and you know the 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 glory of God, the Shekinah glory, filled the temple. In the same way, I think the the glory of God fills the church, but it's it's God's people that shine. And one of the mm-hmm. ways that we shine is by ha- is by that kind of unity where you can look at people who are well-educated, not educated and poor and rich. And everyone is the same because everyone's mm-hmm. unified in Christ. And again, that just goes to all to the glory of God if it's done right. Right. So. Well, and if you're doing it right, uh, if you're doing it right, it's like you said, shining. It's a glaring difference to the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and. And again, was it Matthew 11? Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. Uh, and that's that's what it should be, yep. uh, if that makes sense. And even thinking about when the church first started, I think it was Acts 2.48, you know, where it says that they were, um, you know, they were with one another, but they also, um, it says they had the praise of all men or something like that. Like people mm-hmm. knew what they were doing. They saw what they were doing. And even the community, the people around them who saw that, um, they gained favor through that. And so, again, Great I think if we, if we do it right, um, we can gain gain favor and hopefully gain more souls for Christ. 100%. You're absolutely right. Uh, you brought it up earlier, verse 14, who is the guarantee, um, what would you call it, down payment? Down payment, uh, yeah. Um, I underline that phrase. And I thought it was interesting. In secular Greek, that Greek word is actually used uh, to describe an engagement ring, uh, huh. which is uh, the thought that uh, oh, Paul's cool. making here. You give this ring uh, to your fiance uh, as, for like, like you said, a down payment. I'm going to marry you. Here's the ring to signify that I made that commitment to do so. Uh, what I also found interesting, it's only found three times <coughs> in the New Testament here in verse 14 of Ephesians 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22, as well as uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5. 
And every time this Greek word is used, it's always associated with the Holy, in association with the Holy Spirit, hmm. uh, which uh, is probably a theological um, rabbit hole we could go down. Uh, <laughs> probably try to avoid it with. Yes, I was going to say. I, 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 do think it is, <laughs> I do think it is interesting. And, and you go back to John 16 and when Christ is about to leave his apostles, uh, you got to think about put your shoe in, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the apostles. You've been following Jesus. Matthew 16, he tells you, I'm going to give you all the keys to the kingdom of heaven, the authority. And now he's and you've you've been relying on him for guidance and wisdom. And now he's telling you, I'm leaving. And you are. I mean, where would you? Well, how would you feel? I'd be concerned. It's it's like that mentor, that person who's training you on the first day of work saying, hey, tomorrow's my last day. I'm out of here and you're on your own. Yeah, uh, there's that that reservation. And then but then he comforts them by saying 14 through 16 of John, uh, I'm going to send uh, the comforter and he's going to guide you. Uh, he's going to remind you of things. He's going to guide you into revelation. The things that you. You choose and that you do on behalf of the church. He is the one guiding you uh, safety blanket. I don't want to say safety net, but that's kind of the thought behind it. And I think that's the thought here that we have is is that comfort, if that makes sense, from mm -hmm. that that down payment or that guarantee and assurance. And I think of I think of the first century and um, you know the purpose of of like the miraculous was to prove that the message was true, right? And so how do you know that Paul and the apostles aren't just you know speaking their own message? You had that assurance through the the miracles that were being worked around them that yes, this is what they're saying is true and it's confirmed. And so again, that all goes to to just having that assurance and comfort and knowing that mm -hmm. I'm not just following some some random man's doctrine, but this is truly from God. And so right. that's that's you, you and I have it today. Uh, we don't have it in the same sense. Miracles have ceased. Uh, but like going back to the thought of having the complete revelation, uh, a book. That's almost 2,000 years old, uh, arguably, uh, and I don't even think it's an argument. I think it's a, a fact. The most criticized, most attacked book yep. in the history of man, yet it's still here, still the number one selling book of all time, uh, and will continue to be and prove in itself over and over again. Uh, you look at the odds of a book written in the way that it was 40 different authors estimated 40 different others over thousands of years from different backgrounds, different settings, different languages and all that all writing a book that is infallible without contradiction in unity. Uh, I think that's, that's the part of this thought of, of the Holy spirit guaranteeing our inheritance in the sense that, that we have the words that he guided men uh, to write and and you and I, you go back to the idea of trust. We can trust it, mm -hmm. and 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 it's proven. And not 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 a blind faith. Uh, Hebrews eleven one: the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For two thousand years, the Bible has been proving itself as the infallible Word of God. It's not that we're just oh well, we're going to blindly follow His book. No, there's evidence that proves the legitimacy of it, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's. Uh, a great, and, and if we can do that, if we can trust in that, then we can trust in the promises 
uh, that it promises as well. Because the same God who gave us this infallible word is the same God who's promising this inheritance. Uh, so the things that we do to gain that inheritance, uh, we have that confidence that it's going to pay off, yeah. if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, just looking at everything we've covered so far, this I, like this is 14 verses, and we've covered God's plan, how Christ actualized it, the guarantee, the comfort, the certainty we have uh, through the Holy Spirit. And as you said, you know, from book, chapter, verse that we have today, and it's just, it's amazing to, to all mm -hmm. that in 14 verses, but there's so much there. And that's why we took an entire episode over a couple of verses the first time. <laughs> You're 100%. There's so much there. It's 100%. And we still haven't, and that's the thing, we still haven't even touched, you know, we've kind of, kind of, I don't want to say rushed through it, but we have kind of taken more of a bird's eye view of this passage yep. uh, rather than delving into great detail. And I mean, we could go deeper uh, on any of these passages and just, it, it's amazing. And that's the best part. My uh, Kyle Butt made that point. 12-year-old can read it and understand certain portions of it, but that same 12-year-old can study it for his lifetime and still not pull from it all the riches and the depth that it has to offer. It's, it's uh, And that, again, goes back to that unity of uh, there are people who are much smarter than I am who have delved into this book much deeper than I'll ever be able to get it, yet we're still able to understand the fundamentals of it uh, equally together, which is uh, a beautiful thing as well. And it's exciting. Anything else? I was going to say it's exciting for us as preachers because we get to spend, you know, much more of our week in studying the Bible. And so it's a, it's, it really is a blessing because like you said, you're never going to be done. There's always going to be more. So it's beautiful. Excellent. Excellent point. You have anything else, Matthew, before we close out? Nah, man. I've really, I've really enjoyed this. I'm glad I got to spend some time. Yeah, same here, bud. Appreciate you. Appreciate your time. For those who are listening, uh, thank you so much uh, for for supporting this. Um, have a happy new year uh, as we close out 2023. And with that, 